Drabble Classics, a weekly podcast featuring archived episodes of the Drabblecast drawn from the vault and injected with reanimation serum for your listening pleasure. Edited by Charity Hilton. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast. Episode 115. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, Editor Kendall is getting married this summer in freaking Jamaica. I know, right? Who knew being editor of a speculative fiction podcast paid so well? It turns out his bachelor party's this weekend in Atlanta, so I won't be hitting Balticon this year after all. Kendall's probably not going to have many more of these for the rest of his life. Three at best, so I really shouldn't miss it. You know, it'd be fun to have your bachelor party at a sci-fi convention. Get yourself some Wookiee strippers and... Ah, but I digress. It's 100-word story time. This week's Drabble is called The Absurdly Connected Machine and comes to us from J. Allen Pierce. Mr. Pierce has been featured in Kaleidotrope, Fear and Trembling magazine, and several times here on the Drabblecast. He lives in Portland, Oregon with his wife and hedgehog. Rigorous planning occupies a formless void. Then, with a bang, dark energy expands outward, winding cosmic strings around galactic superclusters, splashing dust across spiraling sheets of stars. Structures are braided together by gravity. Molecules spin and collide. The absurdly connected machine continues to whir as bees dance, children starve, vestigial fins and wedding vows are forgotten, and a billion fireflies glow in a billion galaxies. Eventually, as the final sun dies, and the last traces of energy are consumed, the deliberately over-engineered apparatus comes to a stop, causing a small, silver marble to be spit into an empty cup. Ah, Rube Goldberg machines. Gotta love those things. The simplest tasks performed in the most complex ways. Reminds me of Cap and Trade. Well, our feature story this week is called Clown Eggs by Jay Lake. Jay also lives in Portland, Oregon, where he works on numerous writing and editing projects. His 2009 novels are Green from Tor Books, Madness of Flowers from Nightshade Books, and Death of a Starship from Monkey Brain Books. His short fiction appears regularly in literary and genre markets worldwide. Jay is a winner of the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and a multiple nominee for the Hugo and World Fantasy Awards. Check out his website and blog at jlake.com. So, without further ado, Clown Eggs by Jay Lake. The spring tide rolled across Momus Beach, tossing the flaccid corpses of clowns like so many torn balloons. 
Weathered to a dispirited pallor, they twisted in the foamy surf with the eternally surprised expressions of the dead. The grand causeway linking the great coastal cities of Port Gacy and Pogoville flirted with the ocean along Momus Beach. The roadway rose above the sand on quarried granite piers, carved with friezes of great moments in humor, visible only to the tiny-minded predators that lurked in the dune grasses in pursuit of their mindless prey. An isolated cluster of clown eggs bobbed from one of the piers, webbed with silly string to a stunning bas-relief of the rhinodectomy of Claudius. The encroaching tide threatened the cache, even as the first egg distended, wobbling against the silly string and displacing its neighbors. Salt spume spattered the egg cluster as a tiny, red-lipped mouth broke free, a single, long egg tooth tearing at its enclosing sack. The hatchling clown struggled against fear of the rushing waters to emerge, wrapped in runny white albumen, to cling to Claudius's left foot. Potrebsie! It squeaked in lingua jaculara, the inbred ceremonial tongue of clowns, then coughed more albumen free of its tiny throat. The slap of bright blue size 48s against damp sand caught the hatchling clown's undivided attention. It could see long, thin feet scrambling down the embankment adjacent to the pier, their owner cursing the swirling tide for a bad lot of grease paint. Nanu! The clown hatchling hissed as it swarmed up the stonework of the pier to cower among the guano-coated nests of coastal swifts. The damp reek would mask the little clown's distinctive odor of albumen and fresh rubber and conceal its bright red and white markings. Come here, you little beggars, grumbled the intruder, an old bull clown badly in need of a shave. His eyes drooped to roomy ruin halfway down his cheeks. His fright wig was as gray as the ocean waves. Uncle Smarmy needs his fix, yeah? Oh, baby clowns to make an old clown young again. He hawked and spat a rainbow loogie that trailed sparkles as it splattered into the foaming tide race. The hatchling clown pulled itself tighter into its damp, stinking corner, suppressing a squeak of fright. Below it, the bull clown examined the egg cluster, poking at the vacated egg sack with a puffy, varicose finger. He leered slyly, then peered around. Ah, I know you're out here. Come to Uncle Smarmy, little wee clown. The bull clown made a kissing noise, more like the final belch of a quicksand pool, then added in a voice of forced bonhomie. Oh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang. At the sound of lingua jaculara, the hatchling clown's instincts betrayed it. It squeaked the inborn response to the canny old bull clown's call. Walla, walla, bing, bang. A palsied, four-fingered hand shot up into the darkness to snatch the hatchling clown. It was like a doll in Uncle Smarmy's hand. The bull clown's great thumb pressed against the back of the hatchling clown's little head, while the other three fingers lay like soft putty lead across its chest and groin. No, no, Ticonderoga! What's that, little fella? Uncle Smarmy's prehensile tongue shot out to lick the sweat of fear from the hatchling clown's bright face. The tide swirled around his feet, covering his long blue shoes. 
The hatchling clown tried again, picking up memes and morphememes from the old clown's spittle, inheriting some of his guile. Go, go! There goes Tokyo! The bull clown shook his prize up and down. You sure you're a hatchling? He seemed pretty smart for a little fella. No go, eat Joe! The hatchling clown pled. Oh, now there's a good idea. Uncle Smarmy chuckled. Glad I thought of it. The fingers of his other hand reached out to snap off the little cherry nub of the hatchling clown's nose. The hatchling clown screamed like escaping helium as the bull clown ate the little nose, a thin dribble of pink juice trailing out one side of his mouth. Then it bit into Uncle Smarmy's thumb with ferocious anger, driving the single egg tooth deep into the puffy white flesh. Ow! Screamed the bull clown, snapping his hand back and forth and dancing around knee-deep in the racing tide. Get him off me, the little beggar! The hatchling clown kept its arms wrapped tight around Uncle Smarmy's fingers, digging the sharp points of its tiny shoes into his hand even as it tore the flesh off his thumb with its egg tooth. The taste of the old clown's blood brought sharp lessons, a lifetime of pain and experience flooding into the hatchling. Uncle Smarmy bent to shove his hand into the seawater, trying to drown his vicious little opponent. The hatchling jumped off the old clown's hand and landed on its baggy crotch to renew its attack. Uncle Smarmy lost his balance and tumbled backward into the running water as the hatchling clown took its full revenge on the loss of its nose. His screams quickly burbled away as it choked on the tide-borne husk of a dead clown. The hatchling struggled against the water to regain the causeway pier. It climbed through the spray to perch above the almost flooded cluster of eggs. Another sack wobbled, threatening to tear free, but this hatchling had the advantage. First to hatch from the egg, already blooded in the ways of clown kind, it would kill the next hatchling, and the next, and the next, feasting to quickly grow large and strong, and much, much smarter than Uncle Smarmy. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. The cycle of life is a tragic, horrible, and beautiful thing. There's a special edition of Planet Earth that the BBC did a couple years ago on clown life cycles. Really amazing footage. Let's catch up on some story feedback. A little over a month ago, we ran a story called Babel Probe by David D. Levine, where time-traveling AI had a badass Babylonian experience. This story got resounding positive feedback. Ray Sizemore 3 said, DC 109 was simply my favorite fiction podcast episode ever. I thought there was nothing more to be added after a phenomenal story, but the song? Great, too. Greg said, My very first Drabblecast. I enjoyed the story and the way it was told. The music lent some nice atmosphere. The ending was predictable, but it's hard to outfox a crafty old reader like me. I think I'll bend an ear to some more stories. Aquarello said, I like this one, and not just because it fit the ancient Near East theme so well. The quantum machine versus ancient demon battle was a bit of a stretch for me, but I deeply enjoyed the alternate explanation behind Babel, even if I kept waiting to see how new languages would be introduced, as in the biblical version of the story. 
I also appreciated the science that went with the fiction, especially since I've struggled with programming robots before, and the challenges that brings. The idea that time travel was merely a matter of acceleration, and therefore reduced mass required less energy, just made sense. All it required is a slap in the forehead and saying, Of course that's the solution. Why didn't I think of it? I did put a lot of oomph into this one. It was tough. I was almost late on delivering a Babylonian-themed bartle for Eisenbaum's publishing that had to be done by Wednesday, April 1st. I was about halfway through with recording the song. Then Monday night, David Levine submitted Babel Probe, and I was just reading it casually from our slush pile I was winding down for bed. I was like, holy crap, that fits right with the bartle I'm writing, the Babylon Battle of the Bands. I sent him an acceptance letter that night, called in sick the next morning to finish the song, got the contract back Tuesday afternoon, and started putting together the show that night. Had it done by Wednesday. Close call. Glad it was worth all the effort in the end, though. I really loved the story, too. The next week, we ran Trifecta Special number 7, which had The Frozen People by Danny Adams, Sheltered by Ralph Gamelli, and In Order to Conserve by Cat Rambo. Stalin Says said, You'd think three-for-one deals hint at devalued goods, but never is this further from the case than with DC Trifectas. Our most recent triple-threat installment, number 7, is a shining example of this elevated standard. The Drabblecast does not function like Friday the 13th series. It only gets better. Who needs to jump the shark when you can double back and punch it in the face? Keep in mind, Stalin says, is the artist behind the Super Animal Deathmatch competition, so of course his comments are going to have something about punching a shark in the face. Camo Blamo said, In order to conserve was the highlight of the three. I love an absurd premise in my stories, and you couldn't have a better person to read it than the master of short-form absurdity himself, Frank Key. The Frozen People was a winner as well. The reaction of the Frozen Warrior when he woke was priceless. I don't always enjoy trifectas that much, but I really got into this one. Good job. We do trifectas usually with the intent of having three very contrasting stories, but often there's a thin theme threaded between them all. These stories all told of societies overreacting to an event, and in doing so, the authors mirrored or parodied aspects of social behavior. At least, we think they did. Don't read too much into our stories all the time, though. Sometimes, these things really are just about clowns hatching on the beach and struggling to survive. If you enjoy our show, you can do any or all of the following things. Share us with a friend. These shows are produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means as long as you don't sell them or change them without talking to us first, you can share them and copy them as much as you like. Or you can blog about us. Or even better, write a quick review on iTunes or wherever you get our show. Or best of all, you can donate to us. Without your support, we couldn't afford to do this show every week, or at all even. Your donations are much appreciated. You'll find a one-time or $5 a month subscription option off of our main page, www.drabblecast.org. Well, hey, that's all for this week. Hope everyone has a happy Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors, Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that baby clowns make an old clown young again. Closing, the waitress turns chairs upside down.